This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 104, Warfare. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in this week. If you're a Christian, that means you have volunteered to serve in the army of Jesus Christ. Like many volunteers, you may not have known the full scope of the war that is going on. But believe me, it is terrible. But it is worth the fight. This week we'll discuss who our true enemy is, and it's not your neighbor. The philosophy that undergirds the enemy's every effort. Inspiration for the fight from the music of Peter Tchaikovsky. And a game from my childhood that was more philosophical than I knew. Let's start with what I've been preaching. We are at war. We have been from the beginning. Jesus makes no bones about telling us that. And the more we pay attention to the world we're living in, the more we realize how poorly the war is going. That shouldn't discourage us. That should embolden us. That should encourage us to join the fight because this is a battle that we need to win and there are casualties aplenty. But the temptation oftentimes is, especially when the war is going poorly, for us to assume that our true enemy, our ultimate enemy, is somebody on the other side of the battle line. We touched on this a little bit in our conversation with regard to the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, that came up in the podcast a few weeks ago. There is a tendency to think in this world that we're living in, we are told over and over again, so it's no accident that we come by this thought, that this is about us versus them. All the people on this side are the good guys. All the people on that side are the bad guys. We depersonalize everybody. We simply lump people into groups, into tribes, and we love all the good guys and we hate all the bad guys, and that's all there is to it. That is a gross oversimplification of this conflict that we're looking at. We need to remember who the real enemy is. There is a sense, of course, in which the people on the other side are the enemy. Jesus calls them our enemies, but he also says that we're supposed to love them in Matthew 5, verse 44. Not villainize them, not demonize them, not slaughter them, but to love them. The true enemy, the roaring lion who seeks to devour us, that's the devil. Jesus is telling us the devil is our enemy. This is the spiritual warfare that we've been called to fight. And yes, it has consequences in this world. We see carnage everywhere of this battle. We see sin running rampant. We see cultures becoming more and more depraved. We see inroads being made in our own lives, in our own fellowship. But ultimately, this battle is being fought on spiritual grounds. We are only seeing the consequences, the fallout of that, as it were. What we need to do is maintain our focus on the battle itself and on the enemy himself. Realize that it is spiritual forces in the heavenly places that we are fighting against, ultimately, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. This is why we take up the spiritual armor, to do the spiritual fight against spiritual forces, not political forces, not carnal forces, not any kind of physical enemy. We don't win this war at the ballot box. We don't win this war in some kind of vote or referendum by passing a constitutional amendment or electing a certain president or appointing a certain judge. This war is a spiritual warfare fought with spiritual weapons. And the more we focus on our spiritual conflict, the more we focus on what we do in spiritual realms, to advance the cause of Jesus Christ, the less bogged down I think we're going to get when things don't seem to go as we wish that they would. When we focus on the spiritual forces instead of the physical, then it keeps us on track. It also reminds us that oftentimes 
we have seen the enemy and the enemy is us. And this is the ultimate battleground for us, isn't it? That conflict that goes on inside of every Christian, the warring of the flesh and the spirit that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. Through Jesus Christ, we can find victory here, but it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be consistent. It's not going to be all at once, certainly. Being transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12 verse 2. This happens gradually, and we take backward steps oftentimes. Remember that we are the battleground. Our soul is what is at stake. Fight for that soul. Fight against the weaknesses that are inside of us instead of blaming the world for being worldly. We got a lot of nerves saying that the world is the problem because the world is too worldly. The world is always going to be worldly. We need to take control of the situation. You're never going to fix the world. You're never going to eliminate temptation. So make yourself stronger against temptation. That is a real battle that we can fight and a battle that we can win what's more. And one of the biggest problems that we run into is blaming God when things don't go our way, when things don't seem to progress according to schedule, our schedule that is. We lash out at God. We begin to doubt. Psalm 73 touches on this. The idea of our foot almost slipping. Verse number two, I was about to give up. I was about to forget what this was all about. I almost slipped. I watched the wicked and they survive and they thrive and they're doing so well. I took my mind off of the spiritual life, focused on the physical. I took my mind off of the Lord and I put my mind on the world. He goes on to say in verse number 21 and following, when I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. What an amazing comfort that is to remember that God is with us. In this war, we're not alone. The, the battle is worth fighting, and the battle will be won if we will maintain our faithfulness. God will be the winning side. The only question is whether we're going to be on the side with him. With his help and with diligent effort on our part, we can get through this war on the right side and find the glory that waits for us afterward. Anyway, that's what I've been preaching. This is what I've been reading. For years and years, Henry Morris was the loudest and most respected, perhaps, voice for creationism as opposed to evolutionism. And in his book, The War, The Long War Against God, he defines what he means by evolution. He says, I am not speaking here of only of Darwinism nor even of biological evolution in general, but of evolution as a total philosophy that purports to explain the origin and development of all things by natural properties and processes in a closed universe, one with no involvement by any external supernatural creator. In this sense, evolutionism is essentially synonymous with naturalism or materialism, with a space-time matter cosmos regarded as the ultimate reality out of which everything from elementary particles to complex human beings has evolved. Basically, it is the God-centered universe that draws the ire of evolutionists. When evolution takes its focus off of God, it is with purpose. It is designed that way. 
Human beings are part of the divine creation. Everything was created by God, Genesis 1-1 says. Later on in Genesis 1 verse 27, we are created after his own image, in the image of God. This is who we are and this is where we are. The idea of a God-centered universe is at the very core of the Bible message. And that appears to be the main reason why so many in the evolutionary movement are so opposed to the things of God, because they realize that acknowledging God, acknowledging the supernatural movement in the world, takes the focus off of human beings, takes the focus off of humanity. Organic evolution allows us to separate ourselves from God. It allows us to deny God's involvement, God's creator role in our lives. It allows us to define ourselves, essentially. We are whatever we are, whatever we want to be. The sky is the limit. We can be as smart as we can manage. We can be as powerful as we can manage. There's no limit. This is the humanistic philosophy in a nutshell, that we are the masters of the universe. We are in control of everything. Obviously, if God is here, we can't possibly be in control of God, and so therefore it becomes convenient for us to ignore God, for us to deny God. And whatever there is left of God is forced to evolve as well. That's kind of a twist of lime to this whole story. If we will embrace the idea of human evolution, that means if God is going to survive in American culture or human culture or whatever, God's going to have to evolve too. And we see humankind forcing God into these narrower and narrower roles. No purpose, no plan, no intelligence behind it all. We are in charge. I would offer to you that the reason the world is in such horrible shape right now is because that's what's going on, because we have insisted on being in charge of the world. And so as human beings are elevated to a throne that they have no right to, we see the world tearing itself apart. We see crime, we see ugliness, we see racism, we see all kinds of atrocities against humankind, against nature itself, all kinds of horrible, horrible things. Because we have drifted away from the stewardship that was given to us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and it begins at the very core with denying that there's stewardship in the first place, denying that we are custodians for anybody. This is our world. We're going to run it. We're going to do things the way that we want to do them. And this philosophy sees itself manifested in any number of ways. Morality is kind of the obvious thing. If you accept the idea of evolution, if you accept the idea that the world just creates itself through all these processes, then it's a natural consequence that morality itself is going to evolve. That's why people don't want to talk about right and wrong anymore. That's why they don't want to talk about evil. Unless the evil is Hitler, people like that, maybe a couple of individuals that might pop up, those people can be evil. But generally speaking, we deny the idea that there is such a thing as evil. How could we say otherwise? If morality exists in a state of flux, then who's to say what's right and wrong? And that's why nobody wants to pass judgment on anybody else. And I emphasize that as far as human beings deciding what's right and wrong, we don't have the ability to do that. That's why we as Christians, from a creationist perspective, come at the idea of evil from a thus says the Lord perspective. We're not saying that I'm better than you or that you're better than somebody else. We're saying that God has the final word in these things, and we can answer to God, our creator, and take our morality from him. The value of life evolves. We see horrible, horrible things in this world, and we wonder how it could be that unborn babies can be killed. How can it be that 
elderly people are dismissed out of hand, deciding who's going to live and who's going to die. Like we're God. What we do as the people of God is honor life because God gave all life. If we don't acknowledge that we came from God, if life is just something that happens, why shouldn't life be something that disappears when it ceases to be convenient? And more and more, we're seeing this kind of philosophy. If life does not serve the greater good as we may define the greater good at any given moment, then that life is forfeit. Whether it's an unborn baby, whether it's an elderly person, whether it is someone who is mentally infirm, whatever it happens to be, the old ideas of euthanasia that were dismissed when people found out what Hitler was doing with the ideas of euthanasia are starting to creep back into the public consciousness. We're becoming more and more aware, hey, you know what? Some people just don't want certain human beings to be alive. They think they have that power. They gave themselves that power when they divorced themselves from God. Beauty itself is in an evolutionary process. We look at so-called art museums these days and wonder how in the world this could be beautiful. It's beautiful because it promotes a certain agenda. It's beautiful because it serves the purposes of the people who are in charge. It elevates human beings. It denigrates God. The irony behind all this, of course, is that the scientific community insists that they are right and deny the one thing that we know for a fact is evolving, which is scientific knowledge. Every generation takes bits and pieces of knowledge from the previous generation. They, they accept the things that are right, they throw away the things that are wrong, and they move forward. We continue to move forward in intelligence, in wisdom, or we should at least. Science is always evolving. So who is to say that the current climate right now has all the answers? That what you believe about right and wrong right now, what you believe about the spirit, what you believe about God, what you believe about human beings is absolutely right when we have every reason in the world to believe that in 20 years we're going to believe something completely different. That's the way human history has always been, the way science has always evolved. If we can go back to the beginning, go back to the idea that God made us, that we are his creation, and take our direction from him, our world is going to get a lot simpler, it's going to get a lot more humble, a lot more reasonable, a lot more consistent. It's not necessarily an easy pill to swallow, admitting that we're not masters of the universe. But the quicker we get there, the better off we're going to be. Anyway, that's what I've been reading. This is what I've been hearing. On September 7th, in year 1812, French forces under the command of Napoleon Bonaparte met resistance at the Battle of Borodino. 100,000 lives were lost and ultimately the Russians were defeated. Napoleon was able to continue his progress toward Moscow. Unfortunately for him, instead of allowing Napoleon to take Moscow and find refuge and supplies and a place to spend the winter and perhaps even take the Tsar hostage, they burned Moscow to the ground. And Napoleon found nothing and he was forced to go back home. It was a disaster for Napoleon, and ultimately a tremendous, tremendous victory for the people of Russia. In 1869, Leo Tolstoy published his great book, War and Peace, which reminded the Russian people of this victory in 1812 and created a renewed interest in this battle and these things. And Peter Tchaikovsky was commissioned to write a piece of music 
to celebrate this victory, and that is what we know as the 1812 Overture. If you've ever been to a fireworks display on July 4th, you likely have heard it. Maybe saying, oh, the one with the cannons. Yes, that's the one, the one with the cannons. That's the, the triumphal end of the battle. The Russians are, are victorious in the end, and they're celebrating. But that is at the end. It doesn't begin that way. And it's not always sounding that way. This battle that they're fighting for their very lives, for their nation, was hardly victorious from the very beginning. And that is how the 1812 Overture was constructed. It begins with a prayer, interestingly enough. Just two violas and four cellos playing a very somber, solemn tune. It's very quiet, very understated. If you were facing Napoleon's army at this point, then you had been quiet too. But how appropriate that this ultimate battle, this battle that we see no reason why we can win, that it begins with a prayer. We need God on our side in these conflicts. We need God protecting us and guiding us and sheltering us. We know that he ultimately is under control. We know that he ultimately is in control of all these things. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, this peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus if we will allow him to do that. The entire context there in Philippians chapter 4 talks about that. The battle progresses, and you can hear the French forces coming. The French anthem, the Marseillaise, is heard in the background, and in the foreground, even in this. The French army is coming. They're getting louder and louder. They are dominating the peace. It sounds like a French song for a while. Well, it looks like a French battle for a while. In the short term, the bad guys are winning. And that's the way our battle is also. We should expect setbacks. We should expect things to go poorly for us from time to time. We should expect, as we discussed briefly in the previous segment, that there will be cause for despair. That's when we need to dig in and find our faith. That's when we need to realize that God is with us, even when, and especially when, things are getting bad for us. Any kind of construction person will tell you things will always get worse before they get better. You watch one of these fixer-upper type shows. Things always get really, really, really bad, if they're, and they're going to have to get bad if they're going to get good. You have to tear down before you build up again. Hezekiah found out about that. He rebelled against the greatest nation in the world. We're not going to send you tribute anymore. And immediately, the Assyrians sent their forces and laid waste to the nation. It was much worse than it ever had been under the Assyrians before. And Hezekiah takes this intimidating letter that has been sent to him by the ruler of the world, and he lays it out before the Lord. The text talks about it in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. Lays it out before the Lord and prays. This is what I am facing. I need your strength. I need your victory. We know that things are going to go poorly, and we will suffer. But in the end, we have confidence that victory is going to be ours. And more to the point, victory is going to be God's. This triumphal celebration at the end is what we always remember about the 1812 Overture. We don't remember the slow parts. We don't remember the French parts. We remember the victory. We remember the cannon fire. We remember the celebration at the end. We remember the bells being peeled all over the city, all over the stage if we're watching the performance. Bing, 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 bing. 
Every bell in the place is going up because we have received the victory. We have been glorified. We have been shown to be the winners in this conflict. That's the victory that we receive to a certain degree, perhaps in this life, but especially that we receive in the next life. There's a great story given to us in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where the good king Jehoshaphat is leading his people in battle, and it looks hopeless. And he prays to the Lord for victory. He has tried to do the right thing, and now he is suffering. And the Lord tells him there through the prophet that you're going to see these kings that are amassed against you, they're going to, they're going to fight amongst themselves. They're going to destroy themselves. You're not going to have to do anything. The Lord will give you victory while you sit here and watch. And sure enough, the, the battle rages, and they just stay on the sidelines and watch the whole thing. And ultimately, they go down to the field, and they carry the loot home with them, more than they can carry, the text describes it as. That's the kind of victory that God will give us, not because we worked so hard, not because we were so deserving of it, but because he is the master of the world. He is in control of this battle, and ultimately, the battle will be the Lord's. Anyway, that's what I've been hearing. This is what I've been playing. I haven't played a game of Stratego in probably 40 years. Maybe a little bit more than that. When I was a child, though, I played it all the time. My brother and I would play Stratego, and it was terrific. It's war. You know, kids like to play war, and if I didn't have to go out and get sweaty in playing, why not? Stratego basically is a battle simulation, if you don't remember bunch of characters on tiles facing toward the player, hidden from the opposing player, have different denominations, different values, and eventually they come in contact with the opposite side, and the greater character wins, with a couple of exceptions. There are some bombs out there and that sort of thing, but it's all about conquering the battlefield, about taking the victory, claiming victory. And there's a lot of carnage. There's a lot of bloodshed, not literal bloodshed. Moms, if you don't know Stratego, don't be scared here. There's no actual blood, obviously. But there's the simulation of blood. Like any battle, there's going to be casualties. There are going to be individual fights. And the ideal way to win, of course, is to win all the battles. Every single conflict between red and blue, if I'm playing blue, I want blue to win. Well, realistically, of course, we all realize that's not going to happen. You can't possibly win every battle. And you don't care. You don't care if you lose all the battles. It really doesn't matter as long as you win the war. And when we are fighting in the cause of Jesus Christ, we can get really caught up in individual battles. I remember thinking that my, my number three was the colonel, I think it is who he is. That was, that was a great one. I, I like number three. Well, I, I don't want to send him out there and lose him, so I'll just keep him and not, not use him at all. Well, if he runs up against a two, he runs up against a two. That's the way that it works. The general's better than the colonel. The marshal's better than the general. Some of these battles are going to go the wrong way. If I stay away from any battle that I might lose, I'll stay away from every battle. If we're going to be fighting for Jesus Christ, we can't avoid conflict. We can't avoid the war. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego continue to be great examples for us. I learned long before I learned how to play Stratego that these three, we sometimes call them Hebrew children, exactly how old 
they were. We don't know. They must have been adults at this point, though. They face Nebuchadnezzar and look him in the eye and say, we're not going to bow down to your image. We're not going to do that. And if God delivers us from your fiery furnace, then he delivers us. But one way or the other, we are not going to surrender here. We're going to fight on the side of the Lord. We're not going to give up. We're going to maintain our faith. It very well could be that they would lose that battle, which may seem on the surface to be the only battle, the battle for your life. But they had more faith than that. They knew that serving God was more important. And whatever concept they may have had of greater things, they knew that. They knew that they had to show themselves to be the people of God in every situation, up to and including the surrender of their own life. And of course, God did take care of them. God did preserve them in the fiery furnace, if you don't remember the story from Daniel chapter 3. Ultimately, the only thing that matters is not our physical life, but our soul, our existence before God. Some people think that's what Matthew 16, 26 is talking about. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Is it talking about your literal life? Is it talking about your soul? Either way, we are in self-preservation mode. And if we are spiritual beings, if we're fighting a spiritual war in the end, all that matters is staying on the side of God, staying on the side of Jesus Christ. We will give up everything. We will lose every battle. It doesn't matter, even up to and including losing our own life. The souls poured out before the the altar in Revelation. Cry out for vengeance. How long, O Master, the Holy and True, will you not avenge our blood? It gets like that sometimes. The people there in Pergamum lost their beloved Antipas, who was evidently killed for his faith. Is that right? No. Is that fair? No. But ultimately, Everything done in God's service is going to be honored. It's going to be recognized. It's going to be rewarded in due course of time. Maybe not in this life, but that's okay. Ultimately, we're not about winning battles. We're not about showing people that we are smarter, more spiritual, more holy, closer to heaven than they are. That's not the point. The point is getting to heaven. The point is being spiritual, being holy, being righteous. So we chase after these spiritual things always. We pursue this one objective, the only thing that matters being pleasing to God, pursue it tenaciously, consistently, finding new ways to do it. Whatever it takes to find victory in this life, that's what we do. And when we find opposition, we fight through it. When we find obstacles, we work around them. We don't give up the fight. We don't surrender the war. We don't give up. So many of the kings in the Old Testament days fought the good fight for a long, long time, and then at the end gave up for whatever reason. I've always wondered about that. Don't do that. Do what Paul did. Finish the course. Keep the faith. Never give up fighting the good fight. And allow God to give you the reward, the crown of righteousness. It's waiting for all the faithful after this conflict is over. Maintain your faith. Maintain your fight. Anyway, that's what I've been playing. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.howhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.